Ephesians 3, verse 20 to chapter 4, verse 6. And a title for this morning, it sounds very fancy this. It's a doxology of greatness. A doxology, old-fashioned word. A doxology means like a hymn of praise. Really, doxology talks the whole of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. So see if you can pick it out. See if you can pick it out this morning. Verse 20 of chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, within us, sorry, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Father, as we turn to your holy word, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, will you come now, will you bring these words on these pages alive in our hearts? Lord, I pray for the illumination, revelation, and the glory of Christ to shine through this morning. Lord, we want to hear your word. We're hungry for your word, Lord. Lord, we can't just live on materialistic food. Lord, we want to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which we believe is in this book that we hold so dear. Thank you, Lord, as we heard this morning, that we are a fragrance of life. Lord Jesus, I pray for the fragrance of life to be in every heart, in every mind this morning. I ask, Lord, you will change us Transform us to be more like Jesus, we pray. For the glory of God, in Jesus' name, amen. So, a doxology of greatness. Another question would be this morning in my title. How big is your God? How big is your God? And one day, true story this, a young child was once drawing a picture on a large piece of paper. And he was be, they were being supervised by an adult. The adult said, like you do, oh, that's nice. Parents and grandparents are thinking back. This crayon thing. That's nice. What is it you're drawing? And the child replied, I'm drawing a picture of God. Oh, said the adult. No one knows what God looks like. The child replied, They will do when I've finished. 
significant question for you this morning. How big is your God? Did you see those opening scriptures we read this morning? Now unto him who is able to do abundantly much more than you can ever think or imagine. That's a big God. He is awesome. He is mighty. The great theologian, A.W. Tozer, some people may have heard of him, wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, all about knowing God intimately. And in the opening pages of that book, there's a fantastic quote that Tozer said. And listen to this for your own life. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because it will determine how you live your life. It will determine how you see life. You know, the church of the 21st century, whilst it's seeking to be relevant and reach a generation, in some senses, has lost a sense of the glory of Almighty God. I'm going to say some three words which you may have heard before, and you may not. It sounds like a character out of a Star Wars movie. Omni. Have you heard of the word omni? Some people may not have heard of it. But there are three words that describe God. I'll see if you can know them. One is omni. Potent. Anyone have a guess at what that might mean? Omnipotent. All powerful, Tony, thank you. Omniscient. Anyone know that? No, it's actually, it's all knowing. All knowing. Omniscient means to know all things. An omnipresent, Joan. All, omni means all. The God we serve. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's, he's present everywhere. Now, we are not like people who, you're, I've stood on an ant, I've stood on God. No. God is present everywhere. It's his world. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and the people that dwell therein. And I want to see, as a church, that we see something again of the glory of God to him who is able the only one who is able you may be facing a situation this morning that natural situations can't work out but we believe in a God who is able just cast your eyes to the back of the hall our God whom we serve is able he's a big God nothing surrounds what when you watch your news and England go and lose the Rugby League World Cup. And we're all heartbroken. You know, it's not the end of the world, that. But God knows everything. There's nothing that doesn't, doesn't escape his attention. As I say, we've lost something in this day and age of the view of the majesty of God. I love worship songs. But I like them to glorify God. 
I don't always like singing about how I feel. Because my feelings can go up and down. I don't know about you. So my faith and my understanding of God is not dependent on how I feel. Because I might wake up tomorrow morning feeling fed up. Yes, it does happen. And am I going to let that determine my day? The church in some ways, one of a great saint is now with the Lord, only recently, Greg Haslam, you may hear me mention him from time to time. And he said a few years ago, he said, the trouble with the church today, God has become almighty rather than almighty. Now that's not to say that God isn't the closest friend you'll ever have. The one who will draw near to you. Who will carry you through circumstances. That is not saying that is not the case. But he's other than we are. He's awesome. And we've looked at those scriptures from Ephesians. That talk about the God who is able. To do far more than we can ever imagine. To him be glory in the church. That's what I want to see. Glory. In the church. When we meet together. We worship him with our hearts. The passion of God is on our lives. See glory in the church again. Wonder. And people will be saying. What is it about those people? What have they got that I haven't got? Glory in the church. Is God's destiny for you and I. In Christ Jesus. You notice what Paul said. Throughout all generations. So it wasn't just the first generation. It's every generation until Jesus returns, he wants glory in his house. I want to see the glory of God in this place. What does that look like? What does it look like? Those who get to know me well know that I like to read books that are hundreds of years old. And you may remember, when I say the word Puritan, you may picture Black Adder. Or some other caricature of what a Puritan looked like. But I love the Puritans that lived hundreds of years ago. Because they knew something of the greatness of God. That's been lost today. And I was on a walk with my good friend Glenn Rickard. Some weeks ago. And it was like the Lord spoke to me. And when you discover some of these characters who lived hundreds of years ago. Bunyan. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. John Owen. You may not have heard of him. Jonathan Edwards. I don't mean the triple jumper. Many of them. John Newton. They were men who were changed by an encounter with an almighty God. And discovering them for me is like going on a walk on a country day. Picture it. Close your eyes. You're out on a walk. The sun's beating down. You're having a great conversation with someone. And as you walk through a wooded area, a glade, you see an old rusty gate. And you're kind of intrigued. You think, I wonder where that goes. I wonder what's behind that gate. So you push it open, it sticks a bit. And then you see there's a pathway that leads into like an overgrown area. And you start to step over the thorns and the thistles and the nettles. And then you begin to see. Look at that. Disused fountain. 
Look at that beautiful garden that's overgrown. Those, those beautiful ornate beds that once held flowers. And you begin to think, oh, this has been amazing. And you push through. And you go through another woody glade and you get to a... As you push out, you see an outcrop on a rock that overlooks a beautiful lake. And there is an overgrown, broken, rotten bench. And you sit on it. And it just about holds you up. And you look over the lake. And you feel the breeze. And you begin to get a waft of wildflowers. You think, this is awesome. Now, God's word is like that, ultimately. But I want to tell you, some of the people I've discovered, when you read them, it's like discovering an old garden that we've allowed to become overgrown. Those people give me an appetite for God. John Piper said this, and I concur with him. Not everyone responds this way to 300-year-old books. But I have to admit that most of my soul's food comes from very old books. I find the atmosphere of my own century far too dense with man and distant from the sweet sovereignty of God. A generation too dense with man. I want to challenge you, folks. I want the glory of God. How big is your God? Because a big view of God is a key to revival in the church. We're going to just look briefly. Two men in the Bible. Turn up in your Bibles if you can quickly. Isaiah chapter 6. Keep that question in your mind. How big is your God? Glory in the church. Think of those things from Ephesians. And turn up Isaiah 6. I better turn it on myself, haven't I? With me. <laughs> Thank you. I lost the word then for a moment. Isaiah 6. You may know this. If you've been a Christian a while, you may know this. This Isaiah, tell you a little bit about him. He was a priest. He was a priest in Judah. And if you know the history of Israel and Judah, the split kingdom, you'll know that they had good kings and bad kings and good kings and bad kings and good kings and bad kings. And this was an ordinary day in the temple. And Isaiah was the priest. He would be going about his priestly duties, doing the things he does, doing the things that priests do. But this day was different. See, something had happened that year. They had a king called Uzziah. Anyone heard of Uzziah? He was all right. He was quite good. If you read about him, 2 Chronicles 25, I think it is. You read about him. It's roundabout there anyway. And he, he did some really good things. He was a man of the soil. He was a man of war. He was a man of prosperity. God blessed him because he put God first. 
But do you know what happened to him? He got proud. And he got leprosy. And he lost his way. And that was the year that he died. Isaiah 6 verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Can you imagine what that was like? He was just a priest going about his everyday duty. But this day was different. He had an encounter with the living God. The temple was filled. It was like he was taken out of it. And he saw this throne. This mighty throne. High and lifted up. And he saw this figure. And the, the train. It's not something that runs on rails, folks. For you young people, trains. When the ladies love weddings. And did you ever see a bride walking along with that long train? Think, oh, isn't the train wonderful? I'm thinking, where's the train? <laughs> it's probably late. <laughs> but the train, it's this, this, this flowing robe. If you ever watched the royal wedding, I remember the royal wedding back in 81. Ooh. And this train on Lady Di- well, it took ages. To, they're all carrying it. But this is a train of glory. What was it like for this priest who had a little, maybe an understanding of who God was? This robe filled the temple. All of a sudden he sees these creatures, the seraphim. What a funny name, a seraphim. What's one of them? It describes one in a minute. But seraphim means fiery ones, burning ones. You see, in the throne of heaven, it's all about glory, fire, presence of God. The seraphim, it says, above him stood the seraphim. These creatures each had six wings. With two, they covered the face. It says he, actually. With two, he covered his face. With two, he'd covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Trinity, notice that? Three. Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook. And the voice of him who called, at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Can you imagine that on a Sunday morning? Look, this is a priest. This is a priest of God. In verse 5, look what happens. Woe is me, cries out, for I am lost. In some translations it says, I am ruined. You see, when you see the glory of God... It'll ruin you for anything else. Have you seen the glory of God? I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. 
And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of these creatures. Do you notice how the, 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 God is so holy? They covered their eyes. They covered their eyes with the wings. They covered the feet. See, God's interested in what you can see, and where you go. Holiness unto the Lord. Holiness. One of these creatures, a seraphim, flew to me. He's feeling terrible, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from this altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is 700 years before Jesus. And we're hearing about atonement. Atonement, big word. If you break it down, at one meant. You see? with God you see it was a burning coal that had to touch Isaiah's lips he didn't try and clean his act up himself and get right with God one of the heavenly ones came took a coal and touched his life Look at what happens next. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? Us. This mighty God. Us. Father. Son. And Holy Spirit. Who will go for us? The ruined man says, Here I am. Send me. And this is the day when a priest became a prophet. And Isaiah's life changed. And if you read through those 66 chapters of Isaiah, he had a tough job. Because he went to a nation that was in unbelief, that was in sin. And you can read the, as you carry on, this, maybe this afternoon. His commission is, go and say to these people, keep on hearing, but don't understand. What a ministry. It's like saying, I'm going to tell you the gospel, but no one's going to get saved. But you see, it's not down to Isaiah what happens really. And it's not down to you or me. Oh, we've got to be. Is a holy people unto God, faithful to his word, and live for him. And he'll build the church. He'll build this house. I can't build anything. If you speak to my wife, she'll tell you. DIY? Forget it. But it's not a DIY job in the kingdom. We don't do it ourselves. First of all, It's all been done for us. And he'll do the rest. But he's looking for a people who are holy unto him. Like Isaiah. What's your mouth like? 
What are you speaking? Isaiah said, I'm a man. When he encountered God, if you encountered God, I know we know the Lord. I'm not trying to put anything on you like that. You know the Lord, but when you encounter him in his holiness, you can't be the same. And if you read the history of revival, when God starts to turn up at church, the Christians are on their faces. Because all of a sudden, some of the things that they think, well, that was all right, inside their hearts, it starts to dig away and they think, oh, I've got to get right with God. And yet the Christians, how big is your God? How big is he? Turn up Revelation quickly. Revelation. This is another man who had an encounter. We've we kind of had a sneak preview in Catherine this morning. But Revelation, that book that everyone thinks, oh, I don't know about this one. It's tricky to read. I lay into a secret a few months ago. It says, anyone who reads this, anyone who reads this out will be blessed. So one day, Caff was out. I walked up and down in our house reading Revelation. <laughs> Phone rang, answered it. Excuse me, yeah, 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 okay, thanks, bye. Carried on. Because I want to be blessed, you see. I take God's word at face value. But the first verse of Revelation 1. Just the first few words. Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation... That means the unveiling, phew, lifting off the curtain of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, John, to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. I, John, your brother. See, we think of the disciples with plates around their heads and stained glass windows. No, they were like you and me. They were very ordinary. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance. Oh, you could preach on all of them. The kingdom, endurance, tribulation that are in Jesus. Notice what Billy said. God's going to strip back things. It might cost us. Persecution may come. I can see it. Are you ready? These guys knew. You know, John's on the island of Patmos. He says there, look, I was on, on, on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit, woo, on the Lord's day. They believe that means the emperor's day because it was the Roman culture. The Lord's day was the emperor's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And he gets a commission to write this book. But you see, John, this is the guy who was in the three. You say, what the three? What are you on about? Well, Jesus had three best mates. Peter, James, and John. And he was close with Jesus. Do you remember when, when Jesus was talking about who someone's going to betray me? And they're all saying, well, who is it? And they say to John, you, you're his best mate. You ask him. Jesus was, John was led on Jesus' chest. Good mates, good friends, close. 
But he's, but he sees God, he sees Jesus in a whole new way in this chapter. Just flick over. Well, verse 17 of chapter 1. He has this encounter. Verse 12 onwards describes the Son of Man. Jesus. Just cast your eyes down. These lampstands. Imagine this scene. It's a little bit like Isaiah. In the midst of the lampstands, verse 13, was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Oh, that sounds familiar. And his face... His face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? The one that's in the sky that we see every now and then? Oh, you can't look for very long. When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand upon me and said this, Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. This is Jesus. The one who some years ago had been in that upper room washing his feet. When he saw him in his glory he fell down like he was dead. This chapter 4 quickly. After this he describes these messages he has to give to the churches. Verse 1 of chapter 4. After this I looked and behold a door. Imagine what this was like. This is on an island where you're a prisoner. Because John, they tried to burn, they tried to cook John in boiling oil. They all had pretty grim times with the, the, the apostles for Jesus. And they tried to kill him by putting him in a vat of boiling oil, they reckon. And he didn't die. So I wonder what he looked like. So they sent him to a slave island called Patmos. And this is where he's having this encounter. And it's a, the Lord's day. He's seen Jesus in his glorified state. And he says, after this I looked and a door was standing open in heaven. Oh, I'd love to go through that door. And the first voice which I'd heard speaking to me said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place. I was in the spirit and a throne stood in heaven with one seated there. How big is your God, folks? And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow, had the appearance of an emerald. And around these thrones were these other thrones. Cast your eyes down, verse 9. Sorry, verse 6. 
around the throne on the side. Oh, here they are again. The four living creatures. Full of eyes. See, God sees everything. He sees everything. And he describes these creatures. Different description in Revelation. Lion, one looks like a lion, an ox, a man, an eagle. But look at the commonality in verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. See the scene in heaven, we can't see it just here now. It's a scene of glory. It's a scene of victory. It's a scene of dominion and power that belongs to God. What a scene. So how can I, how can I encounter a God like this? I want to give you some tips this morning. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 3 we've been reading? To him be glory in the church. How do I have glory in my life? Paul said in those verses in Ephesians we read, I urge you. He's not like, it, uh, I suggest. <laughs> I suggest. Just suggest you do this. He says, I urge you. I urge you, Christians, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And he says about humility. Not pride. Gentleness. Oh, here's the hard one for me. Patience. Kind of <laughs> Patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How can I live? Like this. But I'm going back to my friends from a few hundred years ago who did something that sounds very strange today. Meditation. Whoa. Oh, are we all going to close our eyes and go, mm. no. God started meditation. Biblical meditation is not emptying your head of everything. And thinking about a tree. Or thinking about something else. Biblical meditation. Is realising you have the mind of Christ. And allowing all the stuff that tries to pull you down. To be pushed out. And getting into the promises of God. Meditation is big today isn't it? I'm not knocking Mindfulness. It's mind Everyone's talking about mindfulness. We started it. What's it say in Romans? Live in sacrifice. Let your mind be transformed. Change the way you think. Take every thought captive. We could make a fortune, couldn't we? But what is your mind on? That's the question. What are you thinking about? To meditate in a godly way. Well, it's to muse. It's to think. 
Immerse yourself. Do you remember there's a bit where in Paul says to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, he says, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture and those things. He says, immerse yourself in these things. Immerse yourself. That's the same word for meditation. Immerse yourself in the Word. Immerse yourself. One writer said this, one hindrance today to growth amongst Christians is our failure to cultivate spiritual knowledge. We don't know out anymore. It's a biblical, illiterate generation. It's a soundbite generation. And some people say, oh, if you don't make it trendy and quick, and in one line, forget it. I disagree. I disagree. These men who lived hundreds of years ago didn't have the education, the things that we have, could focus and knew God in a deep way. And it's open to you today, folks. Faith is lean, Thomas Manton said, a Puritan. Faith is lean and ready to starve unless it's fed with continuous meditation on the promises of God. See, if you don't meditate on the promises of God, you forget them. And today is, what day is it? It's Remembrance Day. Now, I don't want to decry anything that we remember today. And I thank God for every life so that we can live like we do today. But are you remembering the truth of God? When temptation and discouragement knock on your door? The Bible's full of it. Blessed is the man says Psalm 1, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119, I will lift my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Last Bible verse, my, one of my favourite names, Joshua. I am biased. But in Joshua 1.8, we read this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Do you remember what you speak? Do you remember the cold touching your mouth? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good Success. Kath, can you just go and get some hot water for me? It'll all make, I'm not having a brew and you're not. It'll all make sense in a minute. Are you a meditator on God? Give you some tips for it. Find a suitable time and place to get alone with God. Maybe in the morning for you. Maybe at night. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and make the word alive to you. I have been guilty in the past. Anyone do Bible readings and you have a plan? And you're rushing somewhere and you think, oh, I've not done my reading. And you're rushing through it and you're trying to get it in. And you're not really paying it. You're actually thinking about, have I filled the car up? But you're reading. Has anyone else done that or is it just me? And you're reading the word and you're thinking, and you're thinking, oh, what time are the kids finishing today? 
And your mind's in a zillion places. And then you think, oh, I'm, I, oh I, I, I need to get on with the day. I want to say to you, try. Pick maybe a psalm. Start small. Just a few minutes. Put aside five minutes. Put a clock on or whatever. Ten minutes. Think, I'm going to just read the word. And then begin to think about it. Begin to think. What does this mean to me? See, a lot of Christians, illustration time. Everyone see this? You get the word in the morning. And this is their life. And this is their word. And they go like this. Now the tea's been in the water. And some people don't like strong tea. But that's ridiculous. (laughs) Or maybe that. Oh yeah, Lord, thank you. I'm on my seventh verse now. Oh, the phone's just rung. There's a little bit of flavor in there. But I wouldn't drink it. But when you get time, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Oh, look. The water's changing color. I dare say there'll be some flavor in there. Because it's Yorkshire tea. (laughs) Are you allowed to say that? It's adverts, isn't it? Look at that, Just you can see it as we go along. I'm going to drink it after, actually. I will drink it. But can you see what's happening? The tea bag is changing what's in the cup. That's what God will do with you when you get into the Word of God. Allow the Spirit to change you. Think about a verse, what it means to you. Begin to pray it through. Begin to pray the verses through. Put yourself in them. Lord, thank you. Your word says, how can I keep my way pure? Lord, I want to keep my way pure. Your word says, live in it according to your word. Lord, I want to live in your word. I want to be, I want to be a disciple. I want to know you better. Just start small and grow. It's like the gym. Don't pick up too much straight away. But make it a regular habit. Finally, Intimacy with availability produces fruitfulness. Intimacy and availability produces fruitfulness. Activity without intimacy produces barrenness, leading to frustration. You end up resenting it. Me again. Is there no one else does anything round here? How big is your God? Let's close our eyes. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord. It gives us the, the good, the bad, and everything in between. Of the lives of men and women. And Lord, I, wanna, I want us, Lord, as a family here, To shape our lives unto you. Lord, thank you for the freedom we have in this nation right now. We have an open Bible. Let us make every use of it we can. Lord, we say we know 
that you are able to do immeasurably more than can we ask, think, or imagine. And I pray right now today that you will do that on the behalf of every life here today. I pray, Lord, for encounters with you in the word. Holy Spirit, be very active on these people, I pray. On my life. Change me, Lord, where I need to change. We want to be like you. Lord, we want to behold you in all your glory. Because we know that what we will behold, we will become. And thank you, Lord, that as we behold Jesus, as your word says, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold you, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. I pray, Lord, for any who don't know you, Jesus, in this room. Thank you that you've paid for our sin on the cross. You died, you were buried, and you rose again, and you ascended. And you are now reigning in that throne room of heaven with the golden sash around you, eyes like blazing fire. We want to see you, Lord. Open the eyes of our heart, I pray. And bring glory to the church. Amen.